The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. For the next hour, Monterey College of Law's Dean Mitchell Winnick and law professor Stephen Wagner will discuss current legal events and public policy issues that are affecting our daily lives. They will not provide individual legal advice. If you have a specific legal problem, you're encouraged to contact a lawyer for legal assistance. If you do not have a lawyer, contact the local bar association or lawyer referral service in your community for recommendations. And now, here's Wagner and Winnick on the law. Good day. This is Mitch Winnick. It was a little extra musical interlude today. We had one other station that was bleeding in, but you know what? That is just fine. We are delighted to have you today. I'm Wagner and Winnick on the Law. I'm Mitch Winnick, the Dean of Monterey College of Law and San Luis Obispo College of Law. I have today with me my guest co-host, Michael Cohen. And again, we're in our fantastic new program called International Crossroads. Michael, welcome. Thanks, Mitch. It's great to be here again. Uh, another month of the International Crossroads. And so often we talk about the International Crossroads of law applying. And today, Mitch, we're going to talk about a gap in the law entirely. And that has to do with the lack of law in the situations of armed conflict and the results and aftermath of that around the world. I'd like you to imagine, if you can, for a minute, uh, an outrageous hypothetical uh, that I hope will never come to fruition. But imagine a world where every city, town, and village in the states of California, Texas, New York, and Florida were bombed. And out of every family of four, one was killed, one was taken for torture, imprisonment, um, fates unknown. And two managed to flee. Two in any type of combination. Um, mother, son, husband, wife, two siblings. Um, and they engaged uh, in what was flight from horror, only to find the gates closed everywhere they turned. International borders fenced off with barbed wire and iron doors um, for those who could not flee through the cracks before they shut. Um, we've never experienced anything like that here in America. We have not had a conflict on our soil since we fought each other 150 years ago. Now step through the looking glass. The facts I just described to you are what has actually happened in much of the Middle East and Africa. 60 million people have been displaced by the horrors of war. They have been sent on roads paved with horrors, lined by predators, watched by depraved hearts, 
And for those few that can make it to the shores of free countries and asylum, for those very few, by way of example of the 5 million Syrian refugees seeking some type of food, shelter, and safety currently, our gracious president and nation under the Statue of Liberty has agreed to accept 0.1% of them. 0.1% of them by a nation that has a statue that stands in a harbor that says, give us your tired, your poor, your hungry, etc." For the very few that make it through those cracks, it's no picnic when you reach a shore that looks completely alien to you. You have no money, no food, no way of communication. And more importantly, you are traumatized by the path I just described. That's where our story today begins, with our two guests, who are two people who formed a partnership that cares. One uh, of our guests today, Monika Perik, um, has a professional career that includes human rights program development with on-the-ground work in South Asia, West Africa, and Latin America, as well as psychosocial treatment for refugees and immigrants in the United States. As the Director of Partnerships for Free the Slaves, Monika led the development of the organization's Global Partnerships Program. She has also conducted policy research and advocacy on a variety of human rights issues, including armed conflict, United States foreign policy, modern slavery, and multinational financial institution accountability. For organizations such as the Rockefeller Foundation, the Center for International Policy and Humanity, United. She holds an MA in Public and International Affairs from the Woodrow Wilson School at Princeton University, a second MA from the Wright Institute, and a BA in Finance from the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania. Our other guest today with Monika is Anika Shriharan. How did I do, Anika? <laughs> Somewhat pretty good, okay. Pretty good. Um, Anika is a clinical psychologist and social worker. She has two decades of experience in the field of global mental health with international survivors of human rights abuses. She herself is an immigrant and has lived and worked in Africa, Europe, Latin America, and North America, providing psychosocial care for refugees and asylum seekers fleeing war, torture, gender-based violence, and other forms of persecution. She developed and managed mental health care for refugees in a clinical training program at the International Rescue Committee in Oakland, California, and provided psychological care and clinical training at Survivors International in San Francisco. With a Center for Victims of Torture International Project in Cameroon, she provided training and support for a local nonprofit serving refugees fleeing a humanitarian crisis in the Central African Republic. At the Trauma Center for Survivors of Violence and Torture in Cape Town, South Africa, she provided psychosocial care for asylum seekers and survivors of apartheid. She holds a Doctor of Psychology from the Wright Institute in Berkeley, an MS in Clinical Social Work from Columbia University, and a BA in Religion and African American Studies from Princeton University. Anika, Monika, thank you so much for being here today. Welcome to Wagner and Winnick on the Law's International Crossroads. Thank you. Thank you, Michael, for having us. So let's, we have a, a few minutes before we take our first break. Let's just start the story. I understand you guys are co-founders of this organization. Just start us in the, we have about four minutes for the first break. Tell us a little, how did this happen? How did the two of you come together and what was the, what was the initial input? Absolutely. So Partnerships for Trauma Recovery 
um, was launched as a response um, to exactly what Michael has just introduced, um, this tremendous need among international survivors of human rights abuses um, to provide mental health care for these survivors. Um, increasingly, attention is being paid to the lack of mental health services globally. Um, and international survivors, such as refugees and asylum seekers, are some of the most traumatized populations in the world. So Partnerships for Trauma Recovery was launched with this in mind. And I see that you brought a, a mental health worker in as your co-partner. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so obviously that's a, an important part as well. Thank you very much. So I was very fortunate to meet Monica uh, at the International Rescue Committee in Oakland while I was working there with refugees. And uh, we together really felt like we needed to develop something um, to provide support for these populations. There's not enough support in the Bay Area. There's not enough support elsewhere for people's emotional well-being. And while one program was closing, uh, Monica invited me to open a new program with her, and I'm absolutely delighted to have this opportunity. So you're, you're telling me that when somebody lands on our shores, traumatized from this parade of horrors that they've managed to escape, there was a need for private folks to fill a gap in the government support. Absolutely. So when refugees come here, they actually um, arrive with legal status. So they are immediately given some level of support, but they are, the climb is, you know, they're, they have an extremely steep uh, uphill climb to becoming integrated into, into the United States, into our society. Um, when they arrive, they come with very little. They are um, given you know, some initial resettlement support, but there is absolutely no mental health care provided for, for these refugees. And without that, you know, to be able to learn a new language, um, obtain, a, obtain a job, hold a job, and to be able to, you know, to be basically to be able to integrate and move forward with their lives can be extremely challenging when on top of it, they're suffering from the trauma, the extreme trauma of the experiences that they've had. And I think much of the time we, we focus on their legal status. And in fact, we've done that show before, Michael, of talking about what is refugee status and what rights do you have? And without getting too political, the misstatements made by certain candidates about whether people who have legal refugee, refugee status do have rights to live anywhere they'd like in the United States. But we won't go there. We won't go there on today's program. We'll, we'll focus on the curing side. Sure. But uh, obviously the mental health issue is what you focused on first. That's clearly a gap. I was not even familiar that there was an organization like yours that focused on that aspect of, of serving refugees and those who are asylum seekers. So t tell me a little about, uh, well, actually, we're going to take a break here. And after we come back from the break, we understand that there's a number of initiatives that you have as part of your nonprofit. And we'd like to hear about each of those. And my understanding is Stephen Wagner is going to join us with a question or two as well. Don't go away. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law.
Deciding to go to law school brings up questions like, can I afford it? Will I be prepared to take the leap and open my own office when I graduate? I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true with professors who are practicing attorneys and judges. They mentor our graduates. But don't take it from me. Hear what recent graduate Creighton Mandeville says. I wasn't crippled in debt coming out of Monterey College of Law. I came out of it with no debt. I was able to do some working during that time and some savings. So I exited law school with no debt. I did feel prepared coming out of law school. I started helping friends with the issues that came up for them. And Monterey College of Law has so many great faculties and things that there were resources for me. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000. That's 582-4000. Or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. That's montereylaw.edu. For 45 years, the Boys and Girls Clubs of Monterey County have been a vital part of our community. The club's mission is to inspire and empower the youth of Monterey County to realize their full potential to become responsible, healthy, productive, and successful citizens. As just one of the club's programs, more than 12,000 children and families have enjoyed safe after-school care at the Boys and Girls Club's Salinas Clubhouse. Boys and Girls Club of Monterey County is very excited to announce that Monterey College of Law is providing one full tuition law school scholarship each year to a former Boys and Girls Club participant. For more information about this exciting opportunity, contact President and CEO Donna Ferrero at dferrero at bgmc.org or call 831-757-4412. Beginning with the Continental Congress in 1774, America's national legislative bodies have kept records of their proceedings. Did you know that these records are available to you online for free? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner & Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. Congress.gov is the official website for the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. It is published by the Library of Congress and includes the public records of the U.S. Congress, the Government Publishing Office, and the Congressional Budget Office. Remember, members of Congress work for us, and if you want to see what they're doing, go to congress.gov and watch the actual sessions of Congress, or look up any law that's being proposed. That's congress.gov, C-O-N-G-R-E-S-S dot gov. Are you ready to start law school now? If you've just graduated from college or just thinking of changing your career, now is the time to take that first step. Slow College of Law is accepting applications for May 2016. The San Luis Obispo College of Law is an accredited branch of the Monterey College of Law School, founded 43 years ago. You can get a law degree from an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo. Their highly esteemed faculty is comprised of local judges and lawyers. San Luis Obispo College of Law classes are held conveniently in the evenings, and the campus is conveniently located in downtown San Luis Obispo. Let the professionals show you how to make becoming a lawyer a reality. Make today the first step in changing your life. Attend an information session and get answers to your questions. Call Dean of Admission Wendy Law Revere at 805-439-4096. Visit slowlaw.org for more information. That's slowlaw.org.
Wagner and Winnick on the law. We're talking today about an aspect of international law that we rarely focus on. And, and Michael did a great job of introducing this because, Michael, we're really talking about an area of international law that fails even where it does exist. I mean, there are international tribunals and international treaties that deal with human rights violations. But as you started the top of the show pointing out, that really has not proved to be very effective, has it? It all goes out the window in a heartbeat when bombs start to fall. None of it matters. Borders um, are where tanks draw the lines. And um, anything you think of by way of a law or process becomes chaos and hell. And it's really that simple. And and we were talking about people who survived that, Mitch, and wound, wound up on these shores and, and what they got. Anika, tell me a little bit about the government support for those people, uh, you know, who, who managed to survive. The point one percent. Let's just take a, a Syrian refugee right now. The point one percent of them who will be allowed to land on our shores. What will they get? So as we've seen in the news recently, there's a long process before someone can be vetted as a refugee and then end up making it here. Um, so once a person arrives here and has been determined a refugee by the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees and the International Organization for Migration, they do have legal status when they come here and they have permission to work. So usually through different resettlement organizations, people receive about four months of assistance. So they have an apartment that is, the rent is paid for for four months and they get help with a starting to learn English and getting assistance finding work and um, getting settled into their new environment. But that is about four months of assistance. After that, they're expected to have a job and become self-sufficient. And that apartment is in, um, you, you know, it's probably not next door to me. Well, well we don't know where you live. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that apartment could be next door to me. But <laughs> Um, well, the area I'm most familiar with is Oakland. So, in, as everybody knows, the Bay Area is a very expensive area. So, every refugee who arrives in the United States gets the same amount of money from the federal government. So, whether they live in Nebraska or whether they live in California, it's that same amount of money that needs to cover their rent, their deposit, and all their initial expenses. So, in Oakland, people mostly live in East Oakland, which is the most inexpensive area where the apartments are not in good shape and it's not very safe for many people. Uh, so, they live in, in great poverty. People are resettled into poverty here in, in the Bay Area. So they're traumatized from their life experience. That we, their life experience that we can't we can't even describe because it would be hard for us to identify with mm -hmm. it. And they don't speak our language. They're um, given subsistence into poverty for a job that may or may not be anywhere near them in a public transportation system they don't understand. Um, and uh, four months to learn a language. Um, but no mental health um, uh, care at all. Well, the, the, the system that exists for Ameri the American population is community mental health system. That's where people can access care. Um, in, in theory, I've in dealt theory. with homelessness here in Monterey County, mm -hmm. and that's a absolutely. theoretical possibility, but not one that's very effective for many of our population. No, exactly. You're absolutely right. And, and of course, language access is a big problem when people don't speak English, and there's supposed to be language access through phone interpretation or in-person interpreters, but that's rarely happens. So for people to access mental health care support for their, their losses and their traumas is extremely difficult and that's where we really wanted to come in and, and feel like we wanted to do something about that's this. That's the gap you're filling. And, and I see from your website that you, your agency deals with seven, you have 17 languages plus some auxiliary languages. So it's, it's not just a small population. I mean, you're broadly, 
your scope is quite broad, isn't it? Right. So we try to um, make the languages of the biggest communities available, such as for Afghan refugees that are coming, Eritrean refugees from the Horn of Africa. There are many in the Bay Area. Uh, so we try to really obtain um, interpretation services for the, the biggest group, Spanish, obviously, lots of asylum seekers from Latin America. And we, we, as populations change and shift, for example, if more Syrians start coming, there will be a greater need for Arabic interpretation, and we will, we will seek out our Arabic interpreters to provide access to people. And how do you find your, I guess we'll just call them clients, for the sake, you know, from mental health, they'd be clients. How do, how do they find out about you, and how do you find out about them? Well, so that's one aspect of our partnerships. Um, you know, we're partnered with lots of community-based organizations. We're partnered with the International Rescue Committee. Um, there's the East Bay Sanctuary Covenant in Berkeley, which um, helps asylum applicants or asylum seekers um, obtain status. So we're partnered with lots of organizations which um, are, you know, ready to refer clients to us. So, yeah. That's great. And Michael, let me let Stephen jump in here. Stephen, sure. you've been able to join us. Welcome. Thanks, Mitch. Um, so I'll give you a, a long-distance greetings, ladies. Uh, Monica, Annika, thanks for joining the program. And, uh, Michael, I did hear your intro, and uh, it was quite telling, uh, obviously, the sheer numbers of refugees and the torment and all of the hardships that they face uh, is just alarming, without question. And what I wanted to ask is... Um, and introduce the topic of criminal law a little bit. Uh, both Michael and I are former prosecutors, and I have dealt with victim witness advocates over the vast part of my former career as a prosecutor. And the issue of, of refugees and asylum seekers as crime victims, I'm sure is one of the issues that you've dealt with. Would I be right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you got a stereo. Yes, <laughs> unison nods and uh, and verbal or, or okay. oral articulation. We, we don't see the nods well, on radio. You'll just have to tell us. You said yes. <laughs> okay. So Stephen okay, Stephen so. raises a great point, and so the so the question is, what does that come across your desk? Do you work with folks in the area of preparing them for the legal system? So that would be the situation for asylum seekers. Uh, so we have two groups of people, people who are refugees, who are designated as refugees outside the United States and arrive here with legal status. The other group of people are those who come to the United States in some other way, either with a visa or without coming through the border, and then ask for protection in the United States. That's an asylum seeker. They have to go through the process of telling their story and going in front of the asylum officer who determines whether their story is credible and whether they deserve uh, protection to be able to stay legally in the United States. Sometimes when their asylum claim is denied, they have to go to immigration court. And that's the case where they have to really, again, state their story, explain why it's true and why it's too dangerous for them to go home. So, Stephen, it would sound like some of this type of assistance would be helpful in other types of, of victim work that you've dealt with as a prosecutor. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, I was really hoping to focus on the, uh, the issue of your constituents, the people that you assist in PTR, they often are victims of crimes. And I've experienced that as a prosecutor, where you've got a crime victim who is new to the United States. And in most prosecuting agencies, offices throughout our counties in California, there are victim witness advocates that work with crime victims. 
And that, in my opinion, is an area in in need of probably improvement in light of these alarming numbers of new entrants to the United States, because I can't help but think of the vulnerability factor. And I was just curious, you know, what your take was on that. Stephen, that's a great point. Um, Monica, does the partnership do anything? Does it work with um, folks so you, in that so capacity? So, Michael, you've taken we'll my back. job, which is uh, lead a question right into the break, which right. is perfect. We'll when come we back come and back, answer it. We are going to answer that question, and we're going to talk about the issue of asylum seekers versus refugees. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the law. Don't go away. Applying to Monterey College of Law is not hard, and we have a financial plan and class schedule that is tailored to meet your needs. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true without crippling you with debt on graduation day. I chose Monterey College of Law because I wanted to continue working during the day. I had children at home and I wanted to be able to go to school at night where it wouldn't impact what my children needed from me. There really is not crippling debt that you face afterwards. Monterey College of Law has a payment plan which is manageable and they work with you. The other huge benefit of Monterey College of Law is that the professors are judges and lawyers. By taking their classes, you really actually start networking. So I was very fortunate because I also ended up with a mentor. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000 or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. For decades, the students at Monterey College of Law have graduated and gone on to pass the bar and become successful attorneys. However, not everyone goes to Monterey College of Law to become an attorney. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. We also offer students our two-year Master of Legal Studies degree, which can enhance their chosen careers. I was working as a deputy coroner for San Mateo County as a death scene investigator, and I wanted a better idea of the legal issues that were involved in forensic investigations. Everything about Monterey College of Law was accommodating to the uh, course of study I was trying to find. I graduated from Monterey College of Law with no outstanding debt. I'm working as an investigator for the San Mateo County Private Defender's Office, performing indigent defense investigations. For more information, call us today at 582-4000. That's 582-4000. Or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. That's montereylaw.edu. If you are a small business owner, you're subject to many of the same laws and regulations that apply to large corporations. Where do you go for help? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. SBA.gov is the website published by the Small Business Administration. It provides a wealth of information for small business owners, including employment and labor law, intellectual property law, online business laws and regulations, environmental regulations, workplace safety, and foreign worker eligibility. Of course, SBA.gov is not a replacement for having your own business attorney, but it is a free resource that may help you realize when you need to consult an attorney. SBA.gov. 
Have you thought about a law degree? Did you know you can attend an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo? And you can begin classes in May or in August. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions of San Luis Obispo College of Law. San Luis Obispo College of Law is a branch of Monterey College of Law, an accredited law school established 44 years ago. At San Luis Obispo College of Law, we have convenient evening classes, Mondays through Thursdays from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. We have a tuition rate guarantee program that freezes your tuition rate when you begin and protects you from annual tuition increases. We also have payment programs that allow you to make monthly payments or apply for private student loans. At San Luis Obispo College of Law, our faculty is composed of highly esteemed local lawyers and judges. If you've been thinking about a law degree, find out now if San Luis Obispo College of Law is your law school. Attend one of our information sessions and get answers to your questions. Or call me, Wendy Law Revere, at 805-439-4096. Visit slowlaw.org. That's slolaw.org. It is one thing to argue with your friends at the bar. But have you ever wondered what it would be like to argue in front of the United States Supreme Court? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. Oye.org, spelled O-Y-E-Z dot O-R-G, is a website published by the Free Law Project at Chicago Kent School of Law. You can go to Oye.org and listen to 60 years of actual oral arguments at the United States Supreme Court. Written summaries are provided for cases that go all the way back to 1789. OEA.org also provides biographical information on every United States Supreme Court justice and offers an online tour of the Supreme Court building. Go to OEA.org to see if you have what it takes to present a winning argument. Welcome back. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. I'm here with my guest co-host, Michael Cohen, and my regular co-host on the line, Stephen Wagner. And we're talking today with the founders of Partnerships for Trauma Recovery. And we're talking about some of the interesting aspects of what Michael and I have talked about is the failure of international law to deal with the, the trauma of refugees and asylum seekers, particularly once they've reached our shores here. Right before the break, we were talking about how you help those clients that you have deal with crimes uh, against them, both both in their prior life before they got here, but also when they're here. So, Anika, tell us a little about that. So, yes, as we were discussing, um, when people ask for asylum, they have to tell their story and explain what happened to them. And that can obviously be very difficult to do when people have gone through horrifying experiences that are hard to talk about. Anika, tell me, tell me stop right there for just a second, because you raise a good point, these horrifying experiences. We are kind of talking about them like lawyers. <laughs> and lawyers become categorical and unconsciously insensitive to these things because we have to maintain distance to be of value to our clients. And uh, oftentimes we put up a wall between the, the passion that would otherwise move up in our, in our hearts in order to navigate the system appropriately for our clients. But you all are on the street with the clients in the most raw form when they arrive on these shores in these conditions where things have happened to them, things that Stephen's talking about, things that Mitch has asked about. Um, 
tell them, tell us a little bit about some of these things. What is happening to these people, M- Monica? What what you had some um, at the break some categorical statistics that were stunning sure. to me. Yeah, I mean one of one of the first is torture. So, if you can believe this, an estimated forty four percent of U.S. refugees are survivors of torture, and. That doesn't even include, you know, gender-based violence, the number of losses, um, murders, murders witnessed right in front of people's eyes. So you can imagine being a child, seeing your, your parents murdered, people seeing their siblings, you know, just facing multiple losses, plus the journey to escape. And, you know, that journey is so treacherous itself. And even when they end up in, you know, when you make it safe to a refugee camp, refugee camps, you know, they really vary in how secure they are. So we've had client stories that, you know, where clients, one of our, one of our clients have faced like 25 years of abuse in a refugee camp, right. just, you know, without the protection of a parent, without the protection of a father, this child was just, you know, so extremely vulnerable. Right, Stephen Stephen here, and I just wanted to chime in on that topic. Uh, when you referenced torture, I assume you were re- referring to torture at the hands of government actors, potentially. Is that right? It's both government actors as well as um, torture does include, for example, um, if a government cannot protect its people from, um, for example, a militia. So a woman who is gang raped, gang raped by a militia in a war zone um, is also a victim of torture. So you could have private sector or individuals from the private sector as the bad actors and potentially government sanctioned conduct. Exactly. And you could have that conduct in the camps. These camps are, in essence, concentration camps where people that are straggling are lumped together in a lawless environment where anything can happen and anything can go. Mm -hmm. Uh, 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 To to those, to some of the things that you mentioned, Monica. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to add something as well, is that as you were mentioning earlier, only 1% of the displaced 60 million people in the world make it to a resettlement country in the in the developed world, but also it takes very long. So an average wait time for people to be resettled is usually around 15 years. So they spend that much time in the refugee camps before getting here. So a lot happens to them then as well. And so, Nikki, you were ta- ta- telling us earlier about some of the services you provide. How, how do you deal with this kind of trauma? Because you've talked about children and women, and it's not limited to those, but, but you know, you're a mental health professional. How do you begin the process of helping that population? So one of the most important things is helping develop trust with the person because people have gone through so much abuse and betrayal by other human beings that really being able to be present and be trustworthy and reliable for the person and be be interested and also able to tolerate their stories allows them to begin feeling trusting and feel like they can rely on you and open up and start telling about what's happened. Um, So that's one of the key ways of helping establish a safe relationship for them where they can begin to heal and recover from the unsafe situations that they've been in. And I think some of the more interesting things I saw on the information you provided on your website is that the behavior that we observe of folks who've been through this kind of trauma is not necessarily what we would expect, and we might misinterpret it. So so talk about, I see you talk about fight, flight, or freeze, and emotional dysregulation. Give us a little bit of an idea of what, how, how does that manifest itself? 
So, for example, one of the things that people struggle with is when being overwhelmed and flooded by traumatic memories and traumatic symptoms, people tend to want to avoid things because it overwhelms them and they feel frightened. So, for example, in this environment where people have to come to appointments and they have to make it on time and they have to go to a job and they have to concentrate in their English classes, it's very difficult to do that when you have these memories that are bothering you of what's happened or you're concerned about your family members at home, whether they're safe or not, or you're not sure if you're going to have enough food for your child in the evening, it's very hard to focus and work within the system. So one may interpret somebody's behavior as not being serious or not being responsible, but in fact, often they're frightened or they're overwhelmed or they're just trying to cope and they can't cope. Or somebody may not come to their job on time because they have such insomnia, they haven't slept all night. It's not because they're not interested in the job, it's because they can't manage. Or because they got scared uh, at the bus stop when they saw uh, a gang selling guns on the, a corner um, or somebody carrying a weapon. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, it would seem to me there's two sides of this. First of all, it's working with the, the your clients themselves. But, but what about the other side, the employer, the lawyer, the public service workers who need to work with these folks who may not understand what you just described as well. Yeah, I think that that's another point, connecting it to, you know, the legal process, for example, for asylum seekers. Um, asylum seekers are required to retell their story and to say it in a way that makes sense and that's cohesive. Well, you know, when you're having fragmented memories, when you're, have you know, have had states of dissociation where you don't remember what happened, it's extremely difficult to then recall the story. And so it may sound like an asylum seeker is not telling the truth or potentially changing their story when in reality they're you know they're suffering the mental health impacts of that trauma and secondly I think the you know doctors lawyers um, you know human rights defenders people who are working with these survivors are also themselves um, subject to you know potential secondary trauma from hearing the stories again and again these are really really difficult stories to sit with and that's you know part of what is so brave about the clinical work that Annika and our um, our clinical team does which is to sit and listen to these stories again and again and to provide and to do so without judgment to do so by the willingness to hold the incredible emotion that is held with those stories is extremely difficult and it's something that you know first responders like these have to do and so one of the other things that we provide as an organization is support for these professionals to help prevent or address secondary trauma. I see that you also deal with policy issues and I'm going to want to carry that into our fourth segment but it's it's not just about the the clinical work you're doing with the individuals. Uh, I understand your organization is trying to educate in a broader range as well. S start telling us a little about what what do you do to, to try to advance the policy for the for these individuals? Yeah, you make a good point. I mean, I think, you know, we know that we're doing this work as well as we can in a very deep way, but this you know, problem is tremendous. It's huge. And so we need to try to make an impact in a larger way. Um, and there's two ways we're doing that. One um, is by increasing capacity among clinicians to be able to uh, work with this particular population. So there's very few clinical training programs that are um, focused on international survivors. So as part of our clinical work, we are training more clinicians to be able to do so. Um, but as far as policy, um, this deep work that Annika and, and the other clinicians do is really incredibly valuable for understanding trauma and the impacts of trauma and what it takes to recover from trauma. And so what we want to do at Partnerships for Trauma Recovery is to take what we know um, outside of the therapy room into policy. So, for example, we started talking a little bit about asylum seekers. And, you know, here in the, in the U.S., some 25% of asylum seekers are detained 
in the U.S. after fleeing, you know, torture, persecution, incredible violence. So it's really an extension of, of what they've been going through. They're put right back into the same really difficult situation. I was, just, difficult. I was about to say inhuman, but, but we'll, we'll leave it at difficult. Well, some <laughs> of those conditions are inhuman. I mean, I think Annika can speak to some of that. What can happen in detention facilities here? Yeah, I mean, to put it bluntly, you're talking about going from the road of horror to an American prison. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's right. That's right. It can be a room that's um, crowded. Children are kept in there. Absolutely no place to sleep with no understanding of what is happening or why, you know, why they're continuing to be held there and whether they'll be let out. This could be somebody who was in a similar situation while being tortured previously. Well, when we come back after the break, we'll pick up the conversation there. You're listening to the representatives and founders of Partnerships for Trauma Recovery. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. Don't go away. We will be right back. Making a change in career is a serious decision that affects both you and your family. You have many questions that need to be answered before you can make a commitment. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true. And it's affordable. But don't take it from me. Hear what recent graduate Dan Cullum says. Before I was entering law school, I was an airline pilot. After I retired, I decided that I would go to law school. Monterey College of Law was the avenue to fulfill that desire. I loved Monterey College of Law. It was small classes. The professors were very helpful, personal. You could talk to them. Tuition is not exorbitant at Monterey College of Law, which is the opposite of the way it is at other places. It's affordable. They have a, a program at Monterey College of Law that lets you pay as you go, so it's financially possible. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000 or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. Long before Woody's cruised Beach Street, kids and teens have needed to know that they are important and that they belong. Since 1969, the Boys and Girls Club of Santa Cruz has provided a place where potential is released and great futures are forged. Help celebrate our 45th anniversary by emailing your club memories and pictures to celebrate 45 years at boysandgirlsclub.info or call 423-3138, extension 23. We are also excited to announce that Monterey College of Law is providing one full tuition law school scholarship each year to a former Boys and Girls Club participant. Contact Executive Director Bob Langseth at 423-3138, extension 21, or email bob at boysandgirlsclub.info to learn more about this exciting opportunity. Consumer scams, fraud, deceptive business practices. Where do you go for protection? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. FTC.gov is the website published by the Federal Trade Commission. As the nation's consumer protection agency, the FTC wants to know about businesses that cheat people out of money. 
If you've been the victim of consumer fraud, you should file a complaint at FTC.gov. Although the FTC's Bureau of Consumer Protection will not help you recover your individual damages, your complaint may initiate an investigation that results in companies or individuals being sued by the government for fraud, deceptive practices, or unfair business practices. If you want more information about how to protect yourself as a consumer, go to the Bureau of Consumer Protection at FTC.gov. Are you ready to start law school now? If you've just graduated from college or are thinking of changing your career, now is the time to take that first step. Slow College of Law is accepting applications for May 2016. San Luis Obispo College of Law is an accredited branch of the Monterey College of Law School founded 43 years ago. You can get a law degree from an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo. Their highly esteemed faculty is comprised of local judges and lawyers. San Luis Obispo College of Law classes are held conveniently in the evenings and the campus is conveniently located in downtown San Luis Obispo. Let the professionals show you how to make becoming a lawyer a reality. Make today the first step in changing your life. Attend an information session and get answers to your questions. Call Dean of Admissions Wendy Law Revere at 805-439-4096. Visit slowlaw.org for more information. That's slowlaw.org. The U.S. Constitution has recently created national headlines in the debate about filling the vacancy created by the sudden death of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. The president and certain members of Congress are at odds about what the Constitution requires when there's a vacancy on the Supreme Court. Who is right? And how can everyday citizens be informed enough to know the answer? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. ConstitutionCenter.org is a website published by the National Constitution Center. The center was established by Congress to provide information about the United States Constitution on a nonpartisan basis. If you want information about the Constitution's history and what it means today, go to ConstitutionCenter.org and form your own opinion about the law. Welcome back to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. Michael, we've had a great time talking about a very interesting international law topic, particularly dealing with, with asylum seekers and refugees who need mental health recovery. We have, Mitch, and with our time left, I'd, I'd really love to hear about an example of, of somebody in recovery uh, to wrap up and, and tie up uh, um, the partnership's work. Uh, but before we jump right to that, I wanted to make sure... Um, our other co-host on the phone, Stephen Wagner, who um, always has an active mind, <laughs> has a chance for uh, another question. Yeah, Michael, thanks. And I, I know the goal is to finish on an upbeat note and to talk about, obviously, the success of the program. But you had invited the ladies to talk about some of the topics really more in an unfiltered manner. And I just wanted to loop back to something. And it's human trafficking. It, it's a reality. And... Unfortunately, there is a seedy underbelly out there who is waiting for people in vulnerable positions like this. And often, and I frankly don't care about the manner of entry or the status of entry. The fact remains that 
these new entrants to the United States are extremely vulnerable, and they are very often met with criminal minds upon entry. And the victim witness advocates that I mentioned before that are usually part of the fabric of the DA's office. It's, it's a great... Oh, I'm sorry, Stephen. I, it's a great... That's a great point. Um, and... Um, Anika, Monika, are there, is, do you have an example that fits St- Stephen's um, v- very good point? Yes, I do, in fact. I could, I could speak a little bit about a young woman who came from Guatemala. Um, she was abducted as a child from her indigenous village in Guatemala when she was around 10 years old and never saw her family again. And she was held captive for about 10 years and physically, sexually, and psychologically abused for about 10 years. Uh, she had children with this person who abused her and then had to flee. When this person died, she fled and she made her way to the United States. When she came here... She she did not have any legal status, and in her job, uh, at a low-wage paying job, she started being abused by her employer, who took advantage of the fact that she did not have legal status and threatened her, if you say anything to anyone, um, we'll get you deported, you'll be deported. So he started physically and sexually abusing her for several years because she did not know she had any recourse. So this is an example of someone who suffered these crimes at home and then came here for safety and continued to be exploited. It was not exactly trafficking, but it was... Uh, sexual abuse by someone who was taking advantage of her in that way. Um, She did manage to get asylum and she did manage to go to court and speak about this and get police, you know, police report and speak about what had happened to her here. And of course, much of the human trafficking occurs before they get here (laughs) Um, uh, from the camps and from the road. um, uh, Folks are taken and that's one of the things I suppose that makes that road uh, and that journey um, so difficult. Um, Stephen, did you have uh, some some follow up on the trafficking point? I um... yeah, I just I, I really just wanted to applaud the ladies for what they're doing because frankly, I mean, it's obvious that it's quite a laudable and noble undertaking. And I, I worry about victims of crimes that don't get what I call long distance therapy. You know, all too often a case is prosecuted. The victim uh, needs to testify in court, and the aftermath is not uh, not often what I think it should be in terms of the therapy. So, thank you for all that you do. And Stephen, of of course, for asylum seekers, um, the the victim is um, is also the defendant in 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 many ways. Uh, the, the, in other words, the victim is being prosecuted, or at least being vetted. Um, under our system, but that vetting feels a lot like prosecution, and um, uh, there's a great, great, even potentially even greater need, or as great a need um, uh, uh, there also. So, Michael, before we get too far to the end, I know this type of service from the Partnership for Trauma Recovery doesn't come free. I know you need help. Tell people about how uh, how to get in touch with you, your website. Do you take volunteers? Do you take donations? Absolutely, of course. So our website is uh, traumapartners.org. Um, and of course, yes, we take donations. We take volunteers. We are doing this work on a shoestring. You know, we launched last year, but we have a tremendous amount of impact um, coming up this year. And um, we're looking for people to join our founder circle. We will be opening up um, a new center called the Mosaic Healing Center. So we really invite you, if you're ready to make a significant contribution, to join our founder circle. Um, we're also looking for people to become sustaining healers. So, you know, to keep this work going year after year. Um, if you'll make an 
ongoing donation on our website. Um, we would, you know, we can, we will do good work. I can promise you that. So thank you. Uh, so you're try, trying to all move out of the, the same small office that you share and um, <laughs> branch out. Absolutely. Th- that's, um, that's just wonderful. You all made one point earlier that I would like to come back to. You mentioned that you train groups of first responders as well and help them with the trauma of hearing these stories over and over again and how difficult that can be. Who, who fits into that category of first responders that you're training? So, for example, immigration attorneys and legal law students who are helping do pro bono cases for asylum, for example, they have to do the asylum declaration with the asylum seeker and tell the story and ask questions in great detail. That is extremely difficult to do, and in the legal world, there's not much opportunity to speak about that. So we provide support and assist them so that they can prevent getting exhausted and overwhelmed. Terrific. Anika, Monika, thank you so much for being with us today um, in a spot and in a gap where humanity um, has failed categories of people. Two human beings have stepped forward um, to fill it. Um, And we thank you not just for being on the show, but for all of your work. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you. Michael, it's been a great show for International Crossroads. You've brought another great topic to us that's made us think hard about this and hopefully made us far more aware of an issue that most of us just don't think about. As lawyers, you made a great point. We tend to worry about the process. We don't get as much for the to the humanity behind it. And Partnerships for Trauma Recovery, Anika, Monika, thank you very much for the work that you're doing. Uh, this is a reminder to everyone that you can hear an archived version of this show on voiceamerica.com. You can also hear us on the BizTalk radio.com network and on our website wagnerandwinnick.com on behalf of Stephen Wagner and Michael Cohen this is Mitchell Winnick and as I remind you each week as we depart if you don't know the law know a lawyer in a forum with judges, lawyers, and policy experts answering your questions and discussing your personal rights within the legal system. Law School Dean Mitchell Winnick, along with law professor Stephen Wagner, will discuss the sometimes ever-changing laws and policies to keep you in the know. Listen every Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern, on Voice America Business. If you don't know the law, know a lawyer. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.